Oh, good morning, church family. Well, bear with me for just a minute because it is a very special day. Uh, Because this morning in this service, we're going to have children's church for our kindergartners through third graders. Now, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave just yet. Uh, If you're a kindergartner through third grader and you would like to. Now, listen, parents, if you're more comfortable with your children staying with you, that's cool. That's totally cool. Uh, But if you're a kindergartner through third grader, a parent at this time needs to walk them right over here to Miss Marguerite and Miss Shantina. See these ladies over here? Y'all wait. Look at Hey, everybody. Just go ahead and walk your children to them, and uh, they will take them upstairs. Uh, and Mr. Ben's up there ready to share a word with them and have a good time together. And parents, at the end of the service, uh, when, we, when we're done, just gather right there, and they'll send the children down as they see the parents gathered at the bottom of the stairs. And yes, parents, at the end of the service, you must go to the bottom of the stairs and claim your children, because... Ain't nobody going to be here this afternoon, okay? So make sure you pick them up. So that is for our kindergartner through third graders. And parents, you're invited too. If you want to see what goes on up there, I'm pretty sure they'll let you go upstairs too. So it's exciting. Welcome home, church family. Y'all doing good? Isn't it exciting? Look at this, man. I love it. Love seeing those boys and girls head upstairs. Uh, parents, thank you. Um, for, for letting them be a part of that, and thank you for having your children here. Uh, or if you're joining us online, thank you for having your children join us, join with you uh, as we are a part of this together. But I'm excited to see our boys and girls, for the first time in five months, have children's church today. So that is exciting. New life continues, uh, and we're excited. And speaking of, tonight, tonight for our student ministry, um, we're going to have promotion Sunday today. Uh, across the board for children and children's church and tonight our student ministry Sunday school will gather at six o'clock tonight uh, and the newbies the new sixth graders will be joining the youth group oh so, no no stop it stop clapping Why are you excited about this my daughter's a sixth grader now and she's joining the youth group stop it's an exciting time. My daughter's been very excited. I know there are many of our students ready and eager. So I uh, hope your first week back was good. If it was your second week back, then I hope your second week back was good. Um, if you're a school employee, thank you for what you are doing. We are praying for you. Absolutely. We are praying for you and praying that God does big things through your service and leadership there. Uh, and we are praying for safety and praying for opportunity and all these wonderful things. So we're praying for you and students. We're praying for you as well, uh, that you recognize the mission field that God has blessed you with, uh, that you would press into it. This morning, uh, I want us to kind of backtrack a little bit, uh, if we will. Uh, a few weeks ago, we got to celebrate something pretty amazing here uh, as we celebrated being debt-free uh, in the month of July. It was just last month. Um, where we stopped and celebrated being debt-free. And I want to kind of go back and revisit that a, a little bit. Now, and a lot of people, uh, somebody, you might be sitting there thinking, man, Justin, aren't we past that? No, we are not past that. For 52 years, we were in debt, and God has set us free for his glory. Uh, and we are going to celebrate that, and we're not moving past that. Uh, matter of fact, church, um, when we get to a place where we kind of transition back into a sense of normalcy, now, now hold the button. Everybody in this room has their own definition of normal. Uh, let's set that aside. What I mean by normalcy is when I'm talking like, like social interaction normalcy, when we can shake hands and not wear a mask and maybe even give hugs and, and these things. When, whenever we get to that point, we are going to celebrate. Uh, and I'm not saying the 1030 service is going to celebrate. I'm saying our church family. And it, you talk about, here's my vision. Y'all ready for a vision? I'm thinking a big old giant tent. Out here in the grass, I'm thinking me and Chris Sapp going to come up here and set up tables and chairs for about a week. I'm thinking we're going to have all of y'all and your kinfolk out here. Everybody who's at 9 o'clock is going to be here. Everybody who's online is going to be out here. And we're going to have some food. We're a Baptist church after all. And we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate God's faithfulness. 
to deliver us from through being debt free. He's going to deliver from deliverance from a pandemic and uh, and all these wonderful things. This morning, I want us to kind of backtrack and talk about these things. And and when I in church, when we talk about being debt free, when I reference the fact that God got us to the place of being debt free, instantly I want all of our minds and hearts to go to the place of giving God and God alone the glory for that. Okay. When we talk about being debt free, we should think, man, look how good God is. Look how faithful God is. Look at what God can do. Look at what he has done. And when we recognize the goodness of God, when we recognize the glory of God of what he's done, guess what we're compelled to do in response to that? Worship. We should be welcomed into the presence of God to bring him worth and worship by saying, God, look at what you have done. We exalt your name for what you have done. But church, understand this. We are the church. We're the bride and body of Christ. So we know that if that God is that powerful and that faithful to do that, then when we come to worship, when we talk about God's faithfulness, it's not just about what he's done, but also because of what he's done, we believe in what he's about to do. So as we worship, may we worship him for what he's done, but may we also bring the same amount, if not more worship, to him to say, God, whatever you're about to do, we know you're faithful, we know you're capable, and we worship you in anticipation of what you're about to do. That's what the church does. Y'all know that, right? When we gather on a Sunday morning to celebrate God, it is to worship him for his faithfulness throughout the week since we gathered last, but it's also an anticipation of what God is about to do in the week we're going into. And we might not even see next Sunday. But you know what? If we're not going to see next Sunday, let's go into it worshiping. Because that's where we're going to land next Sunday is continuing to worship him. So church, when we talk about these things, I want us to be able to be eager to bring our worship to God for his faithfulness, for what he has done and what he's about to do. So with that in mind, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Um, It is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, And as you turn there, let me share with you a little context. Why? Because context matters, church family. If we ignore context and as we open God's word, then we find ourselves falling into the trap of making God's word say what we want it to say. That's called sin, by the way. We have to acknowledge context so that when we open God's word and study it, we let God speak through his word. So context matters. So I'll give you a little bit of context where we pick up in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching in parables. And a lot of times in the church world, especially if you've been in church for a while, you kind of get, um, you get a certain vernacular that kind of goes with your vocabulary. You know what I mean? If I were to go with you to your family reunion, some of y'all got real nervous, just be like, oh, don't, don't bring the preacher to our family reunion. If I were, trust me, you don't want to come to mine either. If I go with you to your family reunion and just sit around in the same conversations that you're a part of, I'm going to be totally lost. Because the conversations, the words, the inside jokes, the, the funny things, I'm not going to have a clue about. And a lot of times, if we're not careful as Christians or church people, we get caught up in our own vocabulary that people don't know what we're talking about. So let me, let me help you understand um, kind of what we're talking about as we walk through this, because we are about equipping and educating our people so that they can be more efficient in their gospel proclamation. So when we talk about a parable, a parable is a story that teaches a lesson. Okay? So when we talk about Jesus was teaching a parable, then what we mean is Jesus, Jesus was telling a story that teaches a lesson. Do you know why Jesus used parables? So, so a minute ago, we saw a bunch of boys and girls going, going up the steps, K through third grade, right? Do y'all know what Ben is not going to be teaching on this morning? Astrophysics. Would anyone like to take a guess why Ben is not going to be talking about astrophysics? Now, Ben is smart enough to teach astrophysics, But Ben's not going to be teaching them astrophysics. Why? Because their little minds aren't developed enough to the point where they understand astrophysics. So it would be pointless for Ben to try to teach them astrophysics. Instead, Ben is going to meet them where they are and teach them something far greater and more powerful and more confounding than the astrophysics. And that's the love of God to a bunch of people that don't deserve it. But here's what's amazing. In the same sense that Ben's not going to teach kindergartners through third graders astrophysics, imagine being the creator of the heavens and the earth who intricately wombed us together and knitted us together in our mother's womb and then having to teach them some type of eternal truth. If you're Jesus, you just use parables. 
Because people are like me. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying right now. He goes like, well, it's kind of like this. Uh, and, and that's how he taught. He used a story to teach a lesson. So we're looking at the parables of Jesus. This is also taking place during the last week of Jesus' earthly life uh, before this pre-resurrected life. Matter of fact, if we kind of timeline this thing, the day he's telling this story is on Tuesday before he is to be crucified on Friday. So it's Tuesday, he's preaching, uh, he's proclaiming these, these truths through these parables. Two days later, he's going to be arrested. Three days later, he's going to be crucified. So I just want you to know, understanding the context. He's already cleaned the temple out twice. He's already declared the seven woes against the teachers of the law. Uh, so things are rolling. And here he is talking to these people as we unpack this, the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. So I want you to look with me in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Let's read this together. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought in the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. See, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as we unpack this parable this morning, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you know what we're about. Today. All right? So dial in with me. Make sure you don't miss this. This morning, this sermon is not about money. Okay? This, servant, this sermon is not about tithing. Although biblically obedience causes us to tithe, this sermon's not about, the sermon is not about tithing. This sermon is not about do this and you'll triple your salary in three weeks. Because people have actually taken that text out of context. Context matters. And tried to make it something that says this is not a triple your sermon salary. By the way, for those in this room that profess Jesus as Lord, if you trust in the name of Jesus the way you were redeemed to, you don't ever need to hear a triple your sermon salary because you trust in the one who's going to give you everything you need. So let's don't get caught up in what we want this to say. Understand this. This is a sermon for the church. This is a sermon for Westmead today, August 16th, 2020. This is a sermon about what we need to do next beyond debt free. Again, context matters. This is literally three days before Jesus is to be crucified. Jesus knew in three days he would be crucified. So when he was teaching these things and she was sharing these things, he wasn't really concerned about the world's financial strategies or how to turn a profit. 
Those things didn't ping on Jesus' radar. Jesus was about this parable. He taught and showed this parable to remind us the accountability that we have as God's people to use what God has given us is glory. That's what this parable is about. This parable, realistically, if you look at it, the main focus of this parable is on two distinct days. The day of responsibility, the day of reckoning. And when we look at these two days, when you look at the first day, the first day we see what the master gave the servants. And on the second day, the day of reckoning, we see what the servants gave back to the master. So this morning, I want us to kind of break down this parable and understand what Jesus was trying to show his disciples. And by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, you are a disciple of Christ. He's showing us today too. So first thing I want us to know, I want us to look at the master. What are some things we know about the master. Well, the first thing we see right there in verse 14, the master, he's going on a journey. We don't know. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a long journey. We don't know how long he's going to be gone. We don't know when he's going to come back. We, we know he's going on a journey. We know that he trusted his servants. If you look at the end of verse 14, he says that he had these three servants, that he entrusted his wealth to them. Now, I'm just going to tell you where we're going with this thing so you can kind of go ahead and start looking at it through the lens of these glasses. It's a, it's a parable, it's a story. There's not three real people that Jesus was pointing to. This is a story he's telling, but, but a lot of times, for many of us who have heard this story multiple times, we get to the point where we just kind of dismiss the third servant. We hear the story and we're like, hey, there's one guy with five, one guy with two, and there's a loser with one. We just kind of write him off, okay? But I want you to understand the whole totality of the story, not just focus on the ending. Because this third servant was still one of the servants the master trusted. He wasn't just the ref, you'd be like, well, I'll just give him one. No, he trusted him with one. Now, he trusted them. How did he trust them? Each according to his ability. That's important. Because there's one guy he trusted with five. One guy he trusted with two. One guy he trusted with one. And you're thinking, well, yeah, he just got, the, he just got the, the leftovers, you know. Let me tell you about a talent. A lot of your translations say that uh, there were five talents instead of five bags of gold. I'm using the NIV, so it says bags of gold. But a talent... What it's talking about here, what Jesus was pointing to here, was something that had great value, great worth. A talent was a unit of measure that the Hebrews used. And the specific unit of measure, that they, when they were described something by it measuring a talent, that's the greatest measurement they had. And measurement, if you could kind of lay out a talent, a talent would be something that was too large for one man to lift. Okay? So if we kind of combine this idea of a talent and this idea of of bags of gold, this great value, whatever it is the master gave five, two, and one of, it was more than each person could physically lift on their own. So even though he only got one talent, what he got that was of great value was so big he couldn't even lift it. So I don't want us to just write off the third guy and be like, well, we know what he did. I want us to see the story as Jesus was trying to show them. He gave five, two, and one, each according to his ability. So maybe the guy that got five was a little bit harder of a worker, so he's going to give him more. Maybe the guy with two, he did all right, but he wasn't close to the five, but he was better than the one. So we're going, and we're going to give this guy, even though the guy with one only got one, he still received something of great value and great worth. And when somebody gives you something of great value and great worth, guess what? There's a great responsibility that comes with it. You know, every now and then we get the privilege of having a baby dedication. And uh, baby dedications are fun because you just don't know what's going to happen with babies. But that's one of the most nerve... I get so nervous when it times for a baby dedication. Because at some point in time, they're going to hand me a baby. Like a living child. And I'm supposed to hold it in my arms. And, and, and there's, there's going to be a passing of the baton, or it's a baby, and I'm supposed to get, and I'm like, don't drop it. There's a lot. You ever been handed a baby? Now, women are like, give me another one. I, I get it, but like, for guys, dude, hand me a lit stick of dynamite, and like, I'll figure out what to do. That's safer, you know, and hey, they both explode at some end, but you know, it's crazy. It's, you just got to be careful. When, when somebody gives you something of great value, you have to be very careful with it because a great responsibility comes with having it. 
Even the third servant who only had one was still given a great responsibility by being given something of great, great value. Great value. So what do we see that took place after we see the master do his thing and entrust these three servants with his wealth? Two of the three servants get to work. It's what it says right there. It says the first guy goes out and gets to work. The second guy goes out and gets to work. The third guy goes off and digs a hole and buries, buries the talent in there. Why did he do that? The master later asked. He's like, you, you know who I was, but yet you still did that. Don't you think about this? Not only was he given a great wealth and great value, not only was he given a great responsibility, but he was given everything he needed to succeed. Let me ask you a question. You already have a little review? Three of you. Y'all not paying attention? I'm kidding. Let me ask you a question. When the master showed back up and they brought their talents. What did they do with their talents when they brought them? They honored the master, but what did they do with the the talents? Gave them back. It's not like, here's your five talents back. I made five and I get to keep those. No, no, no. These are servants. There is nothing that they were doing to try to, to keep anything, to try to make something, to try to... They were given an opportunity to glorify, to bring glory to their master, and they were all were given different variables of value but they all were given exactly what they need to to be successful in bringing glory and giving glory to their master were they not they were all giving what they were needed to have success but the third guy just took his and buried his in the ground and there's no excuse for it there was no excuse the first two servants chose to be responsible and obedient The third servant, he chose fear and neglect. Church family, this parable is pointing to us this morning. And let's just kind of pull some of the layers off and make sure you understand what Jesus is talking about here. Again, he's not talking about money, but he's talking about when the master steps away. He's going on a long journey. He will not be back for quite some time. He was signifying his death and resurrection and ultimately his ascension. When he would physically leave the earth, he would leave us in a physical present bodily form. And then he would be gone for a long time. But one day the master is going to come back. This parable is talking about, the first day we're talking about is the present age. The age that is now. Where we have been given very, very much. And the master has stepped away from having a bodily presence here amongst us. But one day the master is going to come back. So right now we're kind of in that present age, that middle time that the master has, has stepped away. But we know he's coming back and we're right in the middle of that time period right now. That's what Jesus was alluding to in this parable. It's the story he was trying to paint. So when we look at us being the servants, at least, excuse me, Those in this room that profess Jesus is Lord and proclaim salvation by the blood of the Lamb. You're the ones being equated to the servants in this parable. We are the ones being pointed to here that has been given much based on our ability. And the question is being asked, what are you going to do with it? Well, Justin, what what have I been given? Let me tell you what was given because, like I said, the, the present age started when Jesus ascended. And what was one of the last things he said as he was ascended? I'll tell you this. You don't have to turn there. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It's verses 19 and 20. I'll read it to you. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Because you know what happens at the very end of the age? Master comes back. We have been given an extremely great value. And when we have been given something of great value, there is a great responsibility that comes with it. If I were to borrow 20 bucks from from you, well, some of you, that would be of great value. I get it. But if you were to let me borrow $10,000... 
By the way, I'm not going to ask. But if I were to come to you after service and be like, look, I'm in a, I'm in, this is a real serious life or death situation. I need to borrow the $10,000 $10, from you. And you and all your graciousness said, yeah, man, here's $10,000. Because, you know, maybe you're rolling around with it in your trunk. I don't know. You give me $10,000. And next Sunday, I'll walk up to you and be like, thank you so much for letting me borrow $10,000. I don't have it. What's the first thing out of your mouth? Cool, don't even worry about it, man. It's all good. Right? Right? <laughs> no. No, of course not. The first thing out of my mind is, what'd you do with that? What did you do with $10,000? Why would you ask that? Because it is of great value, and you want to be, give me to give an account for what I did with what belonged to you. Do you know why an account will be demanded of us when we stand before the Father? Because he has given us a great value. His name is Jesus. And what I mean by great value is this, is God didn't just create this second plan, straight strategy plan. He gave his one and only son. Let me pause the button right there and back up just a little bit because I need you to understand something. When we leave this earth, either by death or by Jesus's return, we will have Two questions to answer. You can start studying for the final right now. I'm going to give you the two questions. Number one, the question will be asked of every single one of us individually. What did you do with Jesus? Did you embrace him as your Lord and your Savior? And what I mean by that isn't did you get saved. What I mean by that is, is he your Savior? And because he's your Savior, he became Lord of your life and you sought to serve him as king every single day. Lord and Savior, guys. It doesn't end just because you get baptized. It begins in the journey of obedience that God is our Lord of lords and King of kings. What did you do with Jesus? Now, if your answer is uh, nothing, then don't worry about question number two because the Bible clearly states that if we get to that day and we stand before God, we leave this world, and we look at God, and he says, what did you do with Jesus? If we say, nothing, I, I rejected him, then he said, then I don't even know you. Depart from me. And you will be separated from God for all eternity, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, not till you get tired of it. Eternity. An eternal torment. You'll be separated from God. That's going to happen for every single person here, Okay? You're not exempt from that. But if the question comes to you, what did you do with Jesus? And we say, God, by your love and your grace and something I don't understand, I accepted the offer of life that you gave to me through your son Jesus. And I received the atonement, the forgiveness of my sins so that I could be known as a co-heir with Christ and call you father. That's going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the first stop whenever we leave this world. But for the believer, here's your second question. Because the word very clearly tells us that there will be a, a, a day where we stand before God in the Lamb's book of life. But for the believer, there's another question. There's a judgment that we stand before. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Because a lot of people think, well, just as long as I'm saved and get into heaven, I'm good. No, 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 no. You didn't read the Bible. Because there will be a judgment seat of Christ where, what did you do with Jesus? He is my Savior. Then we go stand before the judgment seat of Christ to say, well, then what did you do because Jesus was your Savior? Church, we gloss over that real quick. I really need for our church, including myself, we have got to open our eyes and open our hearts because so many people, so many people that call Westmead home, we check the box and we move on. We have got to open our eyes that an account will be given for every single person, including those who are in Christ. And that account, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's in Romans, I'll point it to you, I'll show you four texts. If you want to have lunch one day, I'll buy and we'll talk about it. It talks over where we will stand before Christ and an account will be given for what we did with what has been given to us. You know what's been given to us? Jesus. 
Because a great value has been given to us. A great worth has been given to us in the form of Christ. And when anything of great value is given to us, what did we say is demanded of us? A responsibility to do something with it. You can dismiss me all you want. But it's coming. That day is coming. And that's the day that Christ is pointing us to in this context. It's not enough for us just to know the gospel. But what will we do with it? Let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer out loud. Don't even nod your head. But if the greatest thing that God could afford and give us to us, he did through his son, Jesus Christ, the privilege of grace and mercy and forgiveness, which we don't deserve, we just declared that in song. And understanding the great worth and value we have in knowing Christ and that an account will be given to us, let me ask you this question. When was the last time, the last time you put your head down on your pillow at night and you couldn't go to sleep because you realized that you did not share the gospel, you did not share Jesus with one person that day? When was the last time that kept you awake? When was the last time And when I say share Christ, understand this, verbally and in lifestyle. I'm not saying, well, I held the door for an old lady one day, and that's showing Christ, right? No, that's a good deed. You can use that as an open door to share the gospel, but when when was the last time you just simply shared the gospel, the understanding of Jesus' love for someone else? You don't know if they're lost or saved. It's not for you to know. It's for you to share the gospel. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you were burdened to do that? When was the last time you laid at sleep awake at night because you didn't? When was the last time? Because an account will be given. Yeah, I, I went like four years and never shared my faith. Jesus, what, did you lose sleep over it? Nah, I was just really busy. Church, let's don't, uh, let's don't look at this parable and throw that guy with the one talent in the hole that he dug? Maybe we need to look at this parable and say, what am I doing with my talent? We condemn the guy with one, and look at that guy, he didn't do anything. I'm, I'm more, I want to go with these five and two guys. Look at that, they got ten and four. He didn't do anything. He just. But you know what? The majority of us, if we were honest with ourselves, we're that guy with the one talent saying, I, I haven't really done anything with it. Yeah, I'm sure I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I've given my life to Christ, but uh, sharing the gospel, I'm not comfortable with that. You think Jesus was comfortable with the cross? That argument won't carry weight when you stand before him. And I wasn't comfortable with that. He's going to reach, he's like, hey, you see this nail-pierced hand? Talk to me about comfort. Well, I just didn't know enough. Really? You went to church every Sunday and you didn't know enough? Because you didn't pay attention, you didn't study, you had a copy of, you had 14 copies of the Bible, you don't know enough? Or you didn't care enough? I am going to ask you this question, and feel free to answer out loud if, you're, if you would like to, but you do not have to. Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe the power of God is greater than anything on this earth? Do you believe the power of God is sufficient enough to transform any life on this planet into a redeemed child of God? Do you believe that power of God? I do because it happened to me. If we believe the power of God, let me tell you what I believe. I believe the same power of God lives in the heart of the believer that professes Jesus as Lord of every believer, whether it's Westmead Baptist Church, Decatur Baptist Church, First Presbyterian, it doesn't, whatever. If the power of God, because of the blood of the Lamb, lives inside of us, I believe that God can use any one of those people to transform this area for his kingdom. Do you believe that? We build our lives around what we believe. You know that, right? 
Oh, come on, you know that. I've seen the Alabama flags and the Auburn stickers. I've seen the t-shirts. I've seen what your children do. Remember, I was youth minister for a few minutes. I've seen what they believe and what they subscribe to. I hear how they talk and what they care about. You build your life around what you believe. I believe Westmead Baptist Church can be used by God to transform North Alabama for the kingdom. I believe that. I have to believe that because I believe in God. I believe that. But I believe that's only going to happen when we choose to be obedient. When we choose to be responsible, when we choose to be faithful back to God because of the faithfulness he's already demonstrated to us, I believe that. And there's no argument of man that can change my heart when it comes to believing in what the power of God can do. Church, we got to understand that we have a choice to make. Two of these servants demonstrated the choice of responsibility and obedience. One of these servants chose fear and neglect. That was their choice. That's what happened. I'm just going to be honest with you. This month, we've been working on it a little bit at a time, but we're fixing to kick into high gear, working on the 2021 budget for Westmead Baptist Church. We're debt-free now. I don't know if, if you've heard. But because we're debt-free, we're fixing to have a lot more resources available to us to implement by doing ministry with. Whole lot of new options. Whole lot of new options. And I kind of look at Westmead and I look at these servants and I'm like, man, we're we're very similar in some of these things. If we're talking about investing in the eternal, we're we're in a similar situation with some of these guys. Because I'm thinking about these guys, this guy who's handed five talents, this guy who's handed two, this guy who's having one. I mean, you got to think about this. They've never had this done before. They've never been in this position. They didn't know how long the master was going to be away. They didn't know what variables they were going to come in contact with. They didn't know exactly what to do. We're kind of there. We got all these resources available to us, and we, we've never kind of been in this position before. We don't know how much time we've got. We, we don't. There's a lot of variables we don't know. But what we do know is we have the power and unfailing love of God, free and available to us, leading us and guiding the way. And I believe that that God is calling us to be obedient. And faithful and responsible with what he has given us. You understand this, church. Know this. Again, this ain't a sermon about money. Do you know the greatest resource we have at Westmead Baptist Church? People. God has given the greatest resource we could possibly have as ministers of the gospel. And it's the people in this room. Literally, look around. Look around. Why are y'all still staring at me? Look around. Look around. Look around. These are the people you call church family. This is the greatest resource God has given us. And now we have the opportunity to have a little bit more resource available to equip the greatest resource we have to go and do the greatest thing we've been called to do. We have that privilege. We are right there at this time. And you know what? God might be leading us to try some new things. It might look different than what we've done before. Y'all know the seven last words of a church, right? We've never done it that way before. Seven last words of a church before they shut their doors. Well, we've never done it that way before, and that's it. We might need to be recognizing that God is leading us to this place for his faithfulness, for our ability to bring him worship for his glory, because he's getting ready to do some different things here. Somebody asked me between the surfaces, well, Justin, what do you have in mind? Literally, I'm not that smart, guys. I don't have anything in mind. I just know who God is. And we might be getting ready to do and be a part of something new and different. We might be tasked with the idea of getting creative in how we do ministry. We might be tasked with the idea of getting innovative in how we do ministry. I don't know what it looks like. There's a lot of variables I don't know. But you know what? God has given us something of great worth and value according to our ability. And he says, what are you going to do with it? And Westmead, my question is, what are we going to do with it? I'm not talking about money. Get our minds off of it. 
What did you do with, what are you going to do with Jesus? And how are you going to make him known through your life? We see this beautiful picture. These men who each had a choice. But there's a second day coming, church. Turn your attention back to verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. You know, it's been roughly 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. You know what I call that? A long time. Jesus said it was a long time before the master came back. Master could come back before we hit the invitation. I'm okay with that. You? Master could come back by the end of the day. Master could come back in 343,000 years from now. It's him, not me. But after a long time, the master came back. One day, the long time will be over. And on that day, what will God find in the account of the people of Westmead Baptist Church? What will he find? When he comes and we stand before him, what will we do with the eternal investment that he has given us in Christ Jesus? We've got to start putting our hearts and minds as a church family together, which means we have to practice this individually of saying, God, may we at Westmead be a church that's about eternal investments. But in order to do so, we have to make a choice. Will we be faithful and obedient and responsible with what God has blessed this church with? Or are we going to choose to live in fear and neglect? You know the crazy thing about guy number three? Did he kill anybody? No. Was he a drunkard that we know of? No. Did he uh, commit adultery or, or assault somebody? What was his sin? Where, where do we see this guy actively living a lifestyle of sin? Where do we see it? We don't. So what was his crime? Because we see the punishment of being cast out. What was his crime? Neglect. Neglect. What are you doing with Jesus? What have you done with him? Is he your Lord and Savior? You recognize the love of God that he has for you, that he would give his only son so that you could be loved by God? And if so, what are you doing with it? What are we willing to do about it? My prayer that I've been praying for you, Westmead, and yeah, I even opened my church app, so a lot of you I've been praying by name. My prayer is this, that on that day, when the long time ends, whether it's for all of us or just you, my prayer for you is that you stand confidently and boldly before the throne of God and say, God, I invested in the eternal kingdom with what you gave me. I've been praying for you that way. Individually. I've been praying for us as a church that way. I'm praying that every member of Westmead Baptist Church that's a believer in Jesus Christ whose life has been transformed by the blood of the Lamb that calls Westmead their church home, I'm praying, and I'm praying for you, that when that day comes, you stand before God and you hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and share in your master's joy. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for our church family. And I'm praying that because we're obedient in that, that there's a whole lot more people that are going to hear that statement instead of the other. But church, you have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. Obedience or neglect. Recognizing that we're fixing to have a whole lot of opportunity and we can go and bring God's glory for it. We can bury it and do what we find comfortable. What's your choice? We choose now. Then it's not a question later. So what will it be? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, this morning, I 
the truth of the matter is you always meet us right where we are. And God, there are people in this room, there's a person in this room that they're really uncertain about their relationship with you through Jesus. There's somebody in this room that they're not sure if they're really saved. And God, I pray that today they recognize the great and eternal value and worth that you gave them through your son. That their sins can be forgiven. That their life can be made new. That what we have tarnished with our sin, you can redeem for your glory. And I pray, God, for anyone in this room that does not know Jesus that they move towards you. And in the next few minutes, in an invitation, they would step out. They would come down and visit with one of our staff members and say, I'm ready to know that I know Jesus. And God, for the people in this room that are believers in Christ, I pray, Father, that as you meet us where we are, that you would unveil our hearts, that you would unveil our eyes to recognize, am I that one talent servant? I just went and buried what God has given me, what God has invested in me, that I've, I've buried living as a Christian because of what this world demands. Father, convict us. Holy Spirit, rain down and open our eyes to see where we are not being faithful with the investment of Christ. But God, not just to convict us, not just to point it out to us, because God, you never do anything to beat us over the head with it. You you show us the truth so that you can redeem us into service. So Father, redeem our church to the place where we desire to actively serve and to seek how we too can be wise stewards with what has been invested in us by the name of Jesus. God, that, that will lead people in this room to have to choose repentance or ignoring you. So Father, may each one of us individually come seeking you, revealing our hearts, and asking you, Father, to be glorified through our obedience in the days ahead. In just a few minutes, we're going to stand and sing. And our staff is available on each side of the platform. And I encourage you, I really encourage you. And if God's laying something on your heart and where you haven't been faithful to follow after him, choose today. Choose today to see what God has and move towards him and see the returns of an internal investment for his glory. Would you stand as we sing?
Church family, thank you for being here today. Uh, parents, I remind you, when we dismiss, come on down here and they'll bring your children out. On your way out, there's a bucket and a chair. If you'd like to place your tithe and offering, uh, you can put, put it there. Our ushers will take care of it. Church, hear me. I'm not saying get busy. I'm saying let's get obedient. Uh, and let's all just, man, let's just seek after the heart of the Lord. Because we need to be a church unified to being who God's called us to be. So we can do what he calls us to do when he, when he does. So thank you for being here. I love you. I'm praying for you. I hope you have a great rest of the day.